If you're able, would you remain standing a moment longer and turn to Ephesians 5 as we continue our series on the Ephesian church. I'm planning for us to stay four Sundays on this uh, chapter, just following the uh, order that is in, uh, in the chapter here. So, Ephesians 5, starting verse 22, this is the word of our Lord. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and the, the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray together. Our glorious God, we pray that you'd bless us as we consider your word. We pray that it would be an edifying thing for all of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. We are going to walk our way through this passage in today, then two weeks from today, I'll be gone next Lord's Day, uh, Elder Hoy will be uh, preaching, Elder Hoy will be preaching, right? Yeah, okay. Elder Hoy will be uh, preaching, and then we'll come back the following week and spend a little bit of time uh, on this. Uh, we often come to this passage and quickly jump into looking at the roles of the husband and the wife. Now, what does it mean to submit? What does it mean to love? What does it mean to be the head and in the eagerness to figure out the mechanics of these seven relationships, mechanics that are very important and that we need to figure out, we sometimes skip over what Paul says concerning Christ in this passage. Now, we, we, we are going to try not to do that. Uh, what uh, Paul does here is something that you learn in seminary that you should never do, is to use an illustration that overpowers the very teaching that we are trying to, to teach. Uh, all the, everything that Paul says about Christ here is not the main point of the passage. It's just an illustration of how things should be done. And yet it's so powerful that uh, uh, we'll benefit from looking at it in a moment. Now, he does that also in Philippians chapter 2 when he's actually teaching on how we should be humble toward one another and we should uh, consider each other more important than ourselves. And he, he gives us that glorious hymn of the faith there in the Carmen Christi where he talks about having the same mind of Christ who submitted himself to the Father, became in flesh like us, uh, descended to the, uh, the humiliation of the death of the cross and then was exalted uh, there as well. 
so we have Paul using Christ to illustrate the life of a husband, the life of a, of a wife. So we're going to try to take our time to look at that. But we're going to try to follow the order that is in the text. You know, somebody said when they heard about what we're going to be talking about, they asked, why are you starting with a woman? Should we start with a husband? Uh, theologically, there are reasons to do that, but I'm, I, I'm literally just following the order that the verses show up in the Bible. So, Lord willing, today we're going to consider verses 22 through uh, 24 and the function, the role of the wife in a marriage. Then in two weeks, we'll focus on the illustration that Paul uses of Christ's relationship to his church and see the glory of that. And then follow, follow that. That will prepare us to look at what the husband is supposed to do, what his function is. And then we're going to close this section by looking at verse 31 and what it means to have this oneness in marriage here. Today, we're going to consider verses 22 through 24. Uh, uh, there's something here for everyone. Uh, you might think, oh, I'm not a wife, or I don't plan to be a wife, or I'm a guy, so I'm never going to be a wife, or uh, I'm a widow and not plan to remarry. There's something for us every time we open the Word of God, so please don't turn off at that, this moment as, you, as we begin in verse 22. Uh, and uh, I'll try to be... Uh, as biblically based and grounded as I can as we go on and look at what it means to function as a wife, as God calls a wife to function. In today's society, there, are, there, may, be not a, not, there may not be a bigger cuss word than submission when you talk about the context of, of marriage. The idea that anyone should submit to someone else seems to be un-American. After all, we are the land of the free. At least we used to be the land of uh, uh, the free. Yet, every relationship is based on some level of submission. We, we, we just finished looking at verses 15 through 21, where, God, where Paul speaks about being filled with the Spirit. And one of the displays, one of the ways we know we're filled by the Spirit, is when we are willing to submit to one another. As it says in verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So submission is going to characterize every single relationship in the body of Christ. And God has established roles in marriage that includes the role of the wife as the submitting partner. And that is a glorious thing. And the reason we know it's a glorious thing is because God is the one that instituted that. So we know that He's good, and He's not going to do anything that is not good for His church. And as we prepare ourselves to look at verses 22 through 24, I want us to understand that the family, the family is a place where we, we first display Christian virtue. We tend to think that uh, we are to display the fruit of the Spirit or the Christian virtue to the world out there. And yet we often forget that our primary field of ministry is our own family. And we think that we don't have to be kind, that we don't have to be loving, that we don't have to be merciful, that we don't have to be forgiven in the context of our own family. These are for people out there. Our family is just our family. Or that's just my brother. That's just my sister. Why should I love them and be merciful to them? Uh, Little brothers are made to be punched or something like that. That's kind of the idea that we we have in our minds. And yet, that's not what the Scriptures tell us. In the book of Colossians, uh, Ephesians and Colossians are parallel books. Everything, Pretty much everything you have in Ephesians, you're going to find in Colossians and vice versa. 
The main difference is that Paul emphasizes the church in Colossians and the individual, or the church in Ephesians, the individual in, in Colossians. In the book of Colossians, the parallel book, the parallel passage to this, this section on the, the wife and the section on the husband is, follows a large, a long section on Christian virtue. And Paul considers the relationship between the husband and the wife, between parents and children, as the place where these virtues are displayed. And this is what Paul says in Ephesians in Colossians chapter 3. So listen to me, verses 12 through 17. Paul says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. Even as Christ forgave you, so you also, you also must do. But above all, these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts, to the Lord, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And when he, Paul finishes that, then he says, Wives, submit to your husbands, and husbands, love your wives, and children, obey your parents. Parents, raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's the display of all these virtues love, kindness, patience, long suffering. All those things are displayed in the family, yet. In practice, we often work harder at making a good impression on everyone outside of the immediate family than we do concerning the immediate family. We tend to not really display kindness and compassion and love and so on in the family when that is our primary uh, means, our primary medium of displaying these, these things, these virtues that God has Done that has demonstrated to us. Ephesians 5, 22 through 6, 4 could be considered as the specific application of this passage, especially verse 17, Colossians 3, 17, where it says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And that's how we act towards one another in the family. As ambassadors of Jesus Christ, as a reflection of Jesus Christ to the family. And as we consider this passage, it's important for us to realize that the household, the family, is the basic unit of society and the church, not the individual. It is the family that's the basic unit of society. The household is made of all who are represented by its head. In the New Testament, the household would include the slaves owned by the family as well as the people in the family. Anyone that had a legal connection with the family unit those legally part of the family unit today the household would be the equivalent of the family and those that depend on the family live with them so in the bible more than the individual the household the family is the unit on which everything is built in the bible the family was established in genesis chapter 2 the government was established in genesis chapter 9 the church was established in Genesis chapter 15. And both the government and the church can only exist if the family exists. That's the priority unit, a priority unit in the way that God instituted things. And no, the family might consist of several people, the family might consist of just one person. That's still a family. And the family is under attack. 
is an attack from the world and Satan because they know that if they destroy the family, they will have one. If the biblically defined family is not around, then the church will not exist and government will cease to be able to function properly as well. So we're not talking about some nice things here. We're talking about something that's of the essence of the Christian faith, and that is the family unit. And that brings us to verse 22 of Ephesians chapter 5, where the Apostle Paul says, Wives, submit your own husbands as to the Lord. The original language of verse 22 simply says, The the women to their own man as to the Lord. There's no verb in it, only... Only nouns and adjectives and so on. And, but Paul makes it very clear that the verb is to be borrowed from verse 21 and from verses, verse 24, both of them using the, word, the verb submit. Look at verse 21. Submitting to the one another in the fear of God. And then in verse 24, Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. The original language has no specific word for wife or for husband. It's just a word for man and the word for woman. And the way to know that Paul is talking about husbands and wives is by looking at the context. And he makes very certain, clear, that he's talking about husbands and wives, not just women and men in general. Because he later on talks about parents and children and so on. So we know from the context that he's talking about the relationship between a husband and a wife. And what he says here is that the wife in a marriage is the submitting partner, and that is a glorious thing. But it's not something that uh, is uh, well-liked in our society today, and I dare say probably not something that was, has been well-liked throughout history as well. So there has been a lot, of, a lot said and written trying to explain away the, this idea of submission. How submission does not mean submission. It means something else. Uh, And for example, for a while, scholars would say that the Apostle Paul did not write Ephesians or Colossians or Titus, which are the three epistles that he talks about wives submitting to the the husbands, and that the Apostle Peter did not write 1 Peter, because Peter also includes that idea. No one really believes that. It's been proven beyond the shadow of doubt that the Apostle Paul wrote Ephesians, Colossians, and Titus, and that Peter wrote 1 Peter. Uh, only a dodo brain would uh, say that these days. That's a very technical way of talking to, about liberals as well. Uh, another, another reason people say that the submitting, submission is not for us today is that they say Paul was just conforming to the culture of the time. That he's just being old-fashioned. That's what people believe at the time, so that's why he says it here. The problem with that argument is that Paul doesn't seem to conform to much of what the culture of the time was. For example... Homosexuality was just mainstream part of the culture of the time. That's just what people did. It was accepted. Emperors were homosexuals and so on. And yet Paul goes against that. And he speaks against homosexuality. Uh, He talks about sexual immorality in general. Which was just common in the culture. There was no problem there. And yet he goes against the culture to speak about that. He goes against the culture to talk about drunkenness, which is something that was just accepted everywhere. And yet Paul speaks against that. He goes against the culture to talk about the role of women in religious service. Uh, in the first century, women were the leaders in the different cultic groups and religious groups. And Paul speaks against that. So Paul never had, a tr- had trouble going against culture. As a matter of fact, his standard practice 
was to go against culture. So when he says, women submit to your husbands, he's actually being cutting edge in uh, that, in, in culture. And on top of that, Paul also says that the structure of the family is based on how God created men and women, which transcends any cultural norm. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, For man is not from woman, but woman from man, nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. So if, if the structure of the family, the relationship between a husband and wife, is based on how God created all things from the very beginning, then it transcends culture. It's, it's going to be true everywhere and every time. It's not particularly related to one specific time or one specific uh, place. Now, those that uh, try to preserve the integrity of the scriptures, but lessen the impact of saying that the wife should submit to her husband, they, they, they tend to say that submission doesn't mean submission. They tend to say that the word means something else. For example, you may be familiar with the Bible paraphrase called the message Eugene Peterson put out. And this is how the message uh, renders Colossians 3.18. He says, Wives, understand and support your husband by submitting to them in the ways that honor the master. So it says submission is just understanding your husband and supporting him. Now the problem with that approach is that the word submission is used throughout the New Testament to mean something different than just understand and support. For example, when Jesus comes back from Jerusalem, remember how when Jesus was 12 years old, Mary and Joseph took him to the Passover in Jerusalem? He stays behind. They think that he's with them. Then they freak out because he's not. They go back and they pick him up and bring them back to Nazareth. Remember that story? Once they arrive back in Nazareth, Luke says this in Luke 2.51, He, Jesus, went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them, subject to his parents. Does it mean that Jesus just supported and understood his parents, or that he actually obeyed uh, his parents? Romans 13, which is one that uh, no, seems like no matter what side you are, you've had a hard time with uh, this passage. Romans 13, verses 1 and 5 say, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. And in verse 5, Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. You think Paul is just saying, understand and support your government? Uh, Titus 2, verse 9, talking about slaves, Paul says, exhort bond servants to be obedient. That's the word for submission in Ephesians 5, to their own masters. You think in the context of slavery here that Paul is saying, slaves, just understand and be supportive of your masters. And then I think the, the, the clincher here, James 4, 7, where James says, Therefore, submit to God. Are we going to say that James is saying, just be understanding and supportive of God? Uh, doesn't seem to be uh, the case. The command to submit means that the wife will defer to her husband in everything. Look, and you know why this sounds bad? Any ideas why this sounds, you don't have to tell about thing, but why, why do our wives or women in general bristle and say, oh, when they hear that? One of the reasons is because we, as men, stink at it. We stink at being men of God. It's not the sole reason. The, 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 one of the reasons is because we are just bad at 
being godly leaders in the family as well. But it is what Paul says in verse 24. He says, Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So we can argue about that and so on, but you, you, we're not arguing, you're not arguing with me or with other people. You're arguing with the Holy Spirit directly who actually said this that I just read. Now, with every rule, there will be exceptions. And we're going to look at exceptions in just a second, right? But before we consider the exceptions, let the weight of this truth sink into our hearts. Wives are called by God to follow their husbands in everything. And I want you to notice that's not a suggestion by the Apostle Paul. It's not just a matter of wisdom. It is a command given by the Lord God Almighty. It's as simple as, as that. And the reason that I want us not to think about the exceptions just yet is that our tendency is to immediately lawyer up. We immediately start thinking in what ways a command from the Lord doesn't apply to us. We hear something we don't like very much from the Lord, and immediately we say, okay, okay, now, yes, but there's all these reasons why that doesn't apply to me. And that's just, I'm not talking, that's not just the women on this subject, but all of us have a tendency to do that. When I read Romans 13, verses 1 and verse 5, how many of you said, oh, yes, but that doesn't apply to wearing masks. Oh, yes, but doesn't apply to this or the other thing. I'm supposed to be subject to the government, but there's all these reasons why this is an exception to me personally. And that's just what we do as sinful, sinful people. So instead of thinking about how we don't have to obey a command from the Lord, we should rather start thinking about how we will obey the commands of the Lord willingly. The scriptures say, like in Psalm 119, verse 86, all your commandments are faithful. They're good. Or Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting or restoring the soul. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Do we believe that? So when we hear a command that might cause us to bristle, instead of immediately saying, yes, but here are all the reasons why I personally don't have to follow it, let's think, this comes from a good God, and it's good and faithful, and it's meant for, to, to, for my soul to rejoice in it, and then we follow that in that way. The Holy Spirit uses here in this passage the imagery of head and body. Now, the husband is the head and the wife is the body. Look at verses 22 and 23. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, also Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Think about the imagery of head and body. The head, the body, follows and obeys the commands of the head. Is that, do you, do you get that, that illustration? Right? It's not super difficult um, to think about that illustration. And following that analogy, then, when the body does not respond to what the head is telling it to do, we see that as abnormal, or we see that as an illness, or something that is not right. For example, somebody has Parkinson's disease. 
The impression the person has is that his or her body is no longer doing what the head is telling it to do. It moves in the ways that it, uh, the head didn't tell it to move. It gets in the way of, of doing things that the head wants it to do because the, the body is just moving in the ways that is contrary to what the head is telling it to do. That's how it feels to the person. And we say, this is not normal. We don't look at it something like that to be des- as something to be desired or something to be proud of. Do, do, are you following the illustration, the imagery that Paul uses here with the head and body? So when we, when we try to dismiss this idea of submission, we're, we're doing just that. We're saying, you know what? It's, it's normal for the body to not follow the head. It's something that we should seek and be proud of. That is the image that Paul is drawing for us when he compares the husband to the head and the wife to the body. For, for the relationship to work properly, for it to glorify God, for it to bless all that are involved, the head must function as the head, and the body must function as the body. Now, implied in the command for the wife to submit is the command for the husband to lead. And we're going to spend more time on the husband later on, but I think it's necessary for me to just say a couple things about the head. This is, this is really explicit, explicit in the image of the head and the body. The head must lead. And truthfully, the husband is always leading, period. The husband is always leading. There's no moment, there's no nanosecond of any day in which the husband is not leading, period. He's either leading in a Christ-like way or he's leading in a satanic way. And that's the only, it's a binary system. That's the only two ways the husband leads. So, so again, the husband's leading every moment of every day and he's either leading in a Christ-like way or he's leading in a satanic way. That's it. But he's leading. No matter, no matter how much you have abdicated, no matter how much you have become a deadbeat husband, in your deadbeatness, you are leading. Period. And in this command for the wives to submit to their husbands, we are taught that the husbands must be willing to make decisions. He cannot just sit there and do nothing. That, that's not... If you, if you as a husband see in this command for the, for the wife to submit, the ability for you to just sit there and do nothing, it, you, you are mistaken. That's not what the Bible teaches. In the same way that Christ is actively leading His church, the husband is actively leading his wife. And that's what you do as a husband, and we're going to see more of that in three weeks. I want to spend a little bit of time talking about the manner of submission, that is, how submission looks like, and then I want to spend, finish our time by looking at the dignity of womanhood. Because often this idea of submission is associated in our heads with inferiority. And I don't want anybody to leave here thinking that somehow man, by just being man, is superior to woman. The Bible does not teach that at all. And it's important that we don't leave here thinking that either. So the manner of submission, how it looks like. I want you to notice first that this, this is a willing submission. Even though it doesn't show in our translation, the word is written in such way that means submit yourselves. It's something that the wives, the women do. It's not something that's forced upon her. They do it willingly. A commentator says, Submission suggests a voluntary willingness to recognize and put oneself under the leadership of another. 
as a wife, submission should not be something that you are forced to do, but something that you're, you do willingly. Uh, again, Paul says in Ephesians 5.22, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So it should not be a begrudging effort. It should be something that you do as unto the Lord. Secondly, this is a Christian submission. That is, it is a submission that shows your faith in Jesus Christ. In the, the parallel passage in, in Colossians 3.18, Paul says, Wives, submit your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. A submissive wife is consistent, that is, is fitting with whom Christ is and what he did for her. It's an expression of her Christian faith. Therefore, there is no such category as an unsubmissive Christian wife. They exist. I'm not saying they don't exist. I'm saying that the Bible doesn't, doesn't put those three words together. Unsubmissive Christian and wife don't go together as, Christ, as the Bible tells us about who a Christian wife is. Uh, John Calvin says, Wives cannot obey Christ without yielding obedience to their husbands. You can't divorce both the two. You cannot have one without the other. You can't, you can't have a yes, but sort of attitude. You know, the, the expression, as it is fitting in the Lord, also means that the husband is not the ultimate head of the wife. Christ is. Therefore, the husband doesn't have the right to tell the wife to believe or act contrary to what Christ says. We're getting to the exceptions now. The husband does not have the right to tell the wife to go against what the Bible says. I'll give you some examples of, of, of situations or categories in which if the wife actually follow the husband, she's sinning against God. And to submit would be to sin. And these are not exhaustive uh, categories either. For example, a wife cannot submit to her husband in worshiping false gods. Uh, the husband says, we're going to be Mormons now. The wife cannot do that. Or Jehovah's Witnesses, or Unitarians, or whatever. The wife cannot do that. That, that would be uh, contrary to submitting to God to submit to her husband in that place. Uh, the, the, the wife cannot submit to her husband in committing sexual immorality either. She does not. She'll be sinning against God to do that. In lying, the wife cannot submit the husband in, in lying either. Or murder. And you might think, okay, sure, that's obvious. You know, if the husband tells the wife to go kill somebody, and you know, Adam says, uh, Hannah, uh, you, know, you know, Evan is getting on my nerves. Can you go shoot him? And Hannah knows for sure that he, she's not supposed to do that. So that's obvious. Why include that? Well, because the scriptures include abuse under murder. Because the, the scriptures include, uh, include anger under murder. And the wife, the Bible does not call a wife to submit to an abusive husband. That is, to, to, to submit to the abuse of a husband. That she must tell somebody. She must do something about it. She must call the police. She must call the church. She must protect herself. And she does not have to submit to the abuse of a husband. That, that would be contrary to the teachings of the scriptures. But here again, I want to plead with you not to lawyer up and try to make all your desires not to be to submit fit under this, this exception. And as I told the earlier service, if, if you're coming with the exception in your mind why you shouldn't submit your husband, and that exception is based on at least or, or on two or more logical steps away from the Bible, perhaps you're trying to find an excuse. 
Like, there's something the Bible says clearly, good, and then we can use the principle to come up with other categories, okay. But the moment that you're stepping one f- step further and you have to go six degrees in order to prove that your exception is valid, you might want to look at your heart and make sure that you're not just trying to n- just not submit in, in general there. I also want you to see that it is a specific submission. Ephesians 5.22 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. A wife is to be submissive to her husband and not to every man. And that's important for us to understand. She doesn't owe any special submission to other men just because she's a woman. She is to, submit, to be submissive to the civil authority, just like a man is. She's supposed to be submissive to the ecclesiastical authority, just like a man is. But she, is not, she doesn't owe submission to other men just because she's a woman and, that, and they are men. And it is a respectful submission. Look at verse 33. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. She doesn't gossip about her husband. She doesn't portray him in the dark light unnecessarily. She respects him. Now, remember how earlier I said what a big impediment to submission is, and I said we are as husbands. But that is a big impediment. It's not the biggest impediment to submission. The biggest impediment to submission is sinful hearts. It's a consequence of the fall. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 16 when God is, is pronouncing a curse upon the woman he says I will greatly multiply your sorrow and, conce- and your conception in pain you shall bring forth children your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you and this expression your desire shall be for your husband doesn't mean that as the result of the fall the woman would desire her husband more and uh, opine over her husband and that's not what it means it means that her desire will be for the role of her husband she will want to do what God gave to her husband to be, to do and to, and to be. She will not be satisfied with what God designed her for. She will want to take over his position. And that is the natural tendency of the sinful heart. Now, a deadbeat husband makes it difficult to submit. A sinful husband makes it difficult to submit. But ultimately, the biggest enemy of submission is the woman's own sinful heart. Having said all that, I wanted to finish today by looking at the dignity of the woman. A wife's submission to her husband is not an expression of inferiority. What is the biggest display of submission that we know? The biggest display of submission we know is the submission of God the Son to God the Father. The most profound example of submission is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Jesus came into the world in submission to the Father... But at no time was he inferior to the Father. Remember, he says, nobody takes my life. I lay it down. He was equal with the Father. I and the Father am one. In John 17, it says, restore the glory that we had together before the foundation of the world. So the voluntary submission of our Savior to his Father was designed for a specific purpose. But at no time was he in a position of inferiority. So the wife's submission to her husband says nothing concerning her essence, only concerning her function. The scriptures say that there's no male, female, Greek, or Gentile, Scythian, or barbarian in Christ 
we are all one in essence and worth. Peter says that the husbands are to dwell with their wives in, in, in understanding because both of them are co-heirs of the grace of God. A, woman is, a Christian woman is as much of an heir of God as a Christian man. There's no difference. All, we are all equal partakers of the benefits and standings secured by us, by Jesus Christ. But marriage is a partnership in which we are called to different roles. In other words, man by virtue of being man is not better than a woman and vice versa. And this is important. So if you men, any of you think that somehow because you're a man, you're male, you're God's gift to humanity and you're superior to women, you're just a chauvinist. You're not really a Christian thinker. You're just a chauvinist, a sinful chauvinist because there's no glory in being a man that's above the glory of being a woman. And I'm saying that because this teaching on submission has often been used to put women down. And the Bible doesn't do that. We must teach it rightly because it is good and a blessing to women and to men. But alongside with the goodness of submission, we also must affirm the dignity of being a, a woman. The Bible has a very high view of both women and men. As a matter of fact, in Genesis 1, it says that, man created, uh, uh, that God created humanity in His image, both male and female created in God's image. Uh, the Bible says that the creation wasn't very good until the woman was created. And that man was in somewhat incomplete, it was in some way incomplete till the woman was created. Jesus himself went out of his way to elevate women in his ministry. The very first time that he clearly and explicitly declared himself as the Messiah was to a woman. In John chapter 4, to the woman at the well. There is a great dignity in being a woman. The same way there's great dignity in being a man. Equal dig dignity in both, in, in both situations. You know, do you see how the transgender movement is destroying that? Because the transgender movement says that anybody can be a woman. There's nothing special about a woman. If you think you're a woman, that's good enough. You're a woman. Yet God created women in a specific way with great dignity. Now our God, who only gives us what is good, has designed marriage so that the husband and the wife have each unique roles, unique functions in the marriage. The function of the wife is of submitting partner who follows her husband as the body follows the head. And sisters, all the grace that you need to obey the Lord in this area has already been secured in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ doesn't have to die again for you to submit to your husbands. The grace is there already. He gives you the grace as you believe in Him, and you take that grace, then you follow Him in your calling as a wife. Let us pray together. Father, we do pray that you would enable us to take all the teaching of the Scriptures to heart and that we would not do it begrudgingly. And we pray, Father, that you give us grace to follow you faithfully in what you command us to do. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.